0: Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, January 18th edition of the Basement Academy. I uh, have to confess, getting back into the studio has been both uh, joyful and delightful and challenging. There's a rhythm that develops, and after a few weeks off, I just kind of got to get back in the rhythm. And so uh, appreciate the opportunity to do this and uh, the time that you give Uh, to uh, listening or watching and, and hopefully reflecting upon the things we're talking about, okay? Let me begin with the morning psalm, Psalm 48, and then we'll dive back into our study about essential tenets, how firm a foundation. So Psalm 48 speaks of the foundation that we have in God. This is a song. It is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the utmost heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Amen echoes those same themes of Psalm 46. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So it's picturing the temple and the Temple Mount and all of that fortified city and that place in Jerusalem as an image or metaphor for God, that we are protected, we are secure. And though eventually God allowed the temple to be destroyed for purposes of discipline for his people, God is our fortress. Uh, this God is our God forever and ever. And he'll be our guide even to the end. And so echoes what, or Jesus echoes this when he says, Lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Okay, so with a couple days of introduction, uh, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. We want to talk about the foundation of our faith, these essential Tenets. I hope by now you've had a chance to download the, I won't say study guide, it's just a document um, that's got a fuller expression and there's a, there's a summary page as well. And so what I want to do today is talk about this first essential tenet that we believe is necessary. This is foundational to the Christian faith, certainly how we believe at Greenwich. God's word is the authority for our confession. So whatever it is we say we believe, we ground that in the word of God. It's not something we come up with ourselves. It's it's grounded in these in these scriptures. <clears throat> and so authority. Now, that's a word that is almost a dirty word <laughs> these days. People question the authorities. People question authority. We tussle over who has the right to rule or to say or to do things. But we have authorities in our society and in our world, and we have to come to grips with the reality of authority. And so what is the authority for my life? What is the authority for your life. As Christians, we say God's word is the authority. so I want to kind of offer you a novel, and I've put that in quotes on purpose a novel way of thinking about authority. You, you see that word embedded in the word authority, it's the word author. Who has power over a story, over a, a novel? Okay, so that's a little, little wordplay here. A novel way of thinking about authority: Who has the power over that story? Is it not the one who writes the story, the author? I've been listening to uh, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. Um, not quite as familiar and popular as uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, but it's these are works of fiction that are carrying great truths, um, uh, Christian truth. And so thinking about the way Lewis writes and, and these, these stories, it's been a while since I've, I've read. Who gets the first word in a story? Who gets the last word in a story? Well, duh, it's the author, right? Now somewhere out there, somebody's saying, no, it's actually the editors. <laughs> but the editor's part of the authorial team, right? And so who gets the first word? Who gets to define the, 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 the landscape, as it were, the context of the story, a, a particular story, let's say? Well, it's the author. Well, who gets the last word, right? You know, Some people like to read to the end and find out how the story turns out before they read. And so if we take a novel or a, a, a story as kind of the metaphor, The author is the one who is shaping that story, introducing characters, plot twists, all of that. And so there's a way of thinking about authority in the context of a story. If we think of this life as a story that is being lived, right? We are living a story. Our scriptures say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so it's the author who has the first word. God has the first word. And guess what? God has the last word. And so when we think about authority in life, so authority in the home, who has the first word? Who has the last word? Is it the child? I I hope not, okay? Because there was a life going on. There was a family in place before that child came to be. And so the mother and the father have the first word for that child, right? The parents have the first word. And frankly, the parents have the last word. And so I know a lot of parents don't like it, but ultimately it's because I said so, right? And so this, you know, we don't like to play the heavy always with our children, but, but it illustrates something. Okay, so God who is before all things. God, the great I am. We studied this on, on Sunday. Moses encountering God at the burning bush. Who shall I say is sending me? What is your name? I am who I am. I will be who I will be. God is the one before all time. And so God is the authority. Okay. Now, the historic Christian faith, and I want to use those words intentionally because we have a, an expression of Christian faith these days that is not grounded in history quite the same way. It's more of a progressive Christian faith, okay? But historic Christian faith asserts that God's word is the ultimate final authority for our faith, okay? Now, when we say God's word, some people may think, oh, we're just talking about the Bible. We are certainly talking about the Bible, but we are not exclusively talking about the Bible. There is the written word, the scriptures, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments that come to us in written form. There are manuscripts that stand behind this. These were not invented out of thin air. They, they, they come, we receive this text, okay? The, 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 the Christian community receives this text. Our Our Jewish sisters and brothers received the text, right, from Moses and the... Psalmist and the prophets, etc. And so the written word is our authority. We, we believe that God's word is our authority, but these written words also point us to what the scripture calls a living word Jesus, the word made flesh. And so this is our Christmas celebration, what we call the incarnation. We read that John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so Jesus Christ is the incarnate, the embodied in physical human form, the Word of God. So that everything Jesus says is the Word of God. Everything Jesus does is an expression of the intent and heart and mind of the author of the story. And so you, you can picture life as a story. And so God creates, and then, you know, there's order in creation. We we read Genesis and the seven days of creation. Then God makes man and woman in his image to live in the garden, to be fruitful and multiply, and then something happens. The plot twist happens early as they reject God. And then the story is on. And so the story of salvation, the story of redemption But it's not just a story that sits out there as fiction. It's this is life, okay? And so the life we are living as Christians, we affirm and we assert that we are living this story so that the things that are happening in our world can be understood best by understanding the nature of the human family, the nature of the human person, the nature of... Um, spiritual realities, that there are other forces at work, other beings at work, angels and demons and the like, and that Jesus, the living word, came into the story, okay? And so the word became flesh, so God himself stepped onto the stage of human history, and then in those, those years that Jesus lived and taught and then died and rose, the story changed. That's the pivot, okay? And so we affirm that, not, not out of wishful thinking. We affirm that out of a, a, a study, an intentional study of these written words. So, historic Christian faith looks at the Word of God, the written Word, as it bears witness to the living Word, and ultimately Jesus is our final authority. But, but Jesus affirms these scriptures. I did not come to abolish uh, the, the law and prophets, I came to fulfill the law and prophets. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of God's intention, his heart, his mind, uh, and his purposes. So in the historic Christian faith, we have these creeds, these confessions, these tenets, these beliefs, okay, that we hold. They are derived from and grounded in the word of God. Okay, so when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we're not making that up. We're deriving that from scripture. That belief is grounded in the scriptures. We can point to places where God's word speaks to that, okay? And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary. Well, you know, good grief. You know, there's no such thing as a virgin birth. Well... The, the scriptures say there is it was both prophesied in isaiah chapter 7 and then fulfilled according to the the gospels fulfilled in the birth of jesus we just again celebrated that now plenty of christians who don't believe in a virgin birth well, they're, they're free to believe that they're accountable for believing that also right so so they're free You know, Adam and Eve were free to take of that tree, but they ought not have taken of that tree. That was not the will and purpose and mind and heart of God, but they did. And so someone is free to deviate from the revealed word of God. But historic Christian faith affirms things that are derived from and grounded in these scriptures because we believe the scriptures as they bear witness to Jesus, but these scriptures also are our authority. We submit ourselves to that that, that that authority. So whenever we're talking about these various beliefs, okay, so this essential tenet about the authority of God's word, it is a grounded. It's not just an opinion that I'm making. This is something we have received this belief system and we can point back to. And so I... I Um, in in our essential tenet document, says we glorify God by recognizing and receiving his authoritative self-revelation. God reveals himself to us through these scriptures. So we glorify God by recognizing and receiving his authoritative self-revelation, both in the infallible, infallible means without fallacy, without error, in the infallible scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, and also in the incarnation of God, the Son. And so again, our essential tenet document, you probably already read this by now. If not, just go ahead and read that first little section. And so the written word, we honor God by believing and obeying his word, by receiving these words, the word of God, as our authority. Now, we're going to talk tomorrow about how this authority of God's word gets tested and challenged. And, and so I'll, I'll save that for then. But um, Adam and Eve were supposed to believe God's word that you may eat of any tree of the garden except this one. They were supposed to believe God and obey God. They did not, and there was great consequence. Um, When uh, Moses led the the children out of Israel and they were gonna go up, God had promised uh, the, the people that they would go up to the land of Canaan, all right? It was promised to Abraham and his descendants. And so Moses sent out 12 spies and 10 of the spies came back and said, there's not a chance, we can't do it. Uh, there's, we're, we're like grasshoppers and they're like giants. But two of the spies said, "Whoa, oh, we can do Joshua and Caleb. God said he'd be with us, let's go. But the people listened to the 10 spies and God said, oh, okay, have it your way. And so the way, so they get the 40 years of wilderness wandering, right? It was a short distance, but God caused them. So in Deuteronomy 8, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. So do you hear that? You, be careful to follow. Every, so believe it and follow it. Remember how the Lord your God, this is at the end of the 40 years, right? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. You know the 40 years' will was to humble them, to test them. Are you going to obey or not? He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Well, Jesus said those words, I thought. He did say those words, but he was quoting this. So when Jesus is in the wilderness being tested and the devil comes to him, tempts him, turn these stones into bread. Ah, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That that ultimately our call as those made in God's image is to listen, to receive, to believe, and obey the word of God. Because... God is the author of the story. God has the first word and the last word on us, and he intends for us to, to, to find joy in that obedience, find joy in that relationship with God. Um, the psalmist in Psalm 105 got that marked off, and so it's a great, it's a long psalm. won't read the whole thing. But right at the end, it's talking about the whole wilderness wanderings and everything went on. For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen one with shouts of joy, bringing them out of Egypt. He gave them the lands of the nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for. So the psalmist skips over the 40 years. He brought them out and then brought them into the promised land. He gave them the lands of the nations that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. God brought them out of Egypt. God God brought them into the land of promise that they might be a people who obey his words. Um, Jesus, in his own teaching, if you love me, you will keep my commands. As he commissions his followers, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If my word abides in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And so there is this great theme that runs throughout Scripture of hearing the word of God, hearing the voice of God, believing the word of God, trusting the word of God, obeying the word of God. So we'll, we'll lean more into that in these coming days. But let me start there. God's word is the authority of our lives, the authority of our beliefs, the authority of our confession. And may we delight in believing and trusting and obeying his word. Amen. And so, Father, thank you for your revealed word. Where would we be without these scriptures? How they have guided us. They are a a lamp and a light to our feet, to our path. They are joy to our hearts. Most importantly, they guide us to Jesus, uh, to the Savior, the living incarnate Word. And so help us to be renewed uh, with our thinking, be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And so guide us into a deeper love of your Word, a deeper embrace, and a faithfulness to your Word. Thank you for this essential tenet. Thank you for those who've come before us, who've guarded the, the sacred trust and belief. Help us to to honor this uh, in our own lives and certainly at Greenwich. As we pray in the name of the living word Jesus who taught us to pray together saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You can even hear that obedience to the word. Thy will be done. How do we know the will of God? By the word of God. May God bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you this day and forevermore. Amen.